0: Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour... You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Hello, and welcome to Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Today, we're going to be talking about that arcane topic called duality. And today, rather than talking to you as a therapist, I'll be clearly talking to you as a metaphysician. I think that this subject of duality is so very important to discuss because it has everything to do with the masks and costumes we put on that keep us from knowing who we really are. Duality. We do tend to hear the term thrown around uh, quite a bit these days, at least in metaphysical or spiritual circles, but it means different things to different people. So I'm going to start today by giving my own definition, one that encompasses the totality of human history. I believe that duality is a kind of hypnotic trance state in which we are all living that not only keeps us blinded to our own authenticity but also divides everything in life every perception every attitude every behavior every institution every political persuasion every financial decision etc into two very opposite poles of belief so duality comes out like this a thing is good or it's bad it's right or it's wrong it's blue or it's green, it's dead, or it's alive. Even the gradations between the poles are very often polarized. But the bottom line of duality is this concept that we as humans cannot possibly also be God, nor can God as God possibly be human. The rationale we use to perpetuate that bottom line is the idea that God is good and humans are, by nature, evil. So that's a very basic overview of duality. So, okay. If that's true, how did it happen that we all got into the same hypnotic trance? Well, to use the metaphor from Genesis, it went something like this. Once upon a time, long, long ago, in a place we no longer psychologically or spiritually recognize, we were brought into awareness of this physical plane. Some call this our creation. I call it an awakening to a different plane of existence. But I do think that awakening was a... Phase of a larger scale creative effort going on in the divine mind. And in any creative effort, there must be a consideration given to all the variant possibilities that present almost as questions to be answered or dilemmas to be resolved. For example, when we're painting a picture, we might have to resolve the dilemma of a color variation that appears to the creative mind to be a problem. We could choose from a wide variety of resolutions, and in the process of choosing, we might try out several different colors until we find the one that resonates most clearly true to the creative effort. In that same way, as the divine mind was in its own creative process of sort of painting a picture, if you will, of the universe, it encountered the extant possibility that humankind could image itself as separate from the divine. Now, there were several options out there for how to handle that dilemma, including ignoring it altogether and allowing the image of humankind to be its full awareness of its connection to the divine. But that would have left out the experience of the dilemma itself. If creativity is anything, it is experience. To leave experience out of the creative process is to leave off creativity entirely. Divine mind already knew this. And so the experience of the possibility that humanity could envision itself as separate from God had to be allowed. But the purpose of this allowance was not so that we could grow into being good people and not being bad people. That's a duality version of it. The purpose of this allowance was to resolve the dilemma that was a part of the creative process. What this means ultimately is that the purpose for humanity is not to grow into goodness, but rather, to do, to to be a part of the creative endeavor, so that we are all in the process of answering once and for all this um, question that was raised in the creative process about could it be possible for for us to really be separate from God, and what the experience we're having is, we are experiencing. Uh, a life as if it were true that we could be separated from God. But in fact, we cannot be. Let's talk about it a little bit more. The process of this creative endeavor was metaphorized in the story of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the book of Genesis in the Bible. And whether you believe in the Bible or not, the metaphor itself is effective to communicate the process that took place in which we all adapted a dualistic standpoint. So when Eve, who... Uh, personifies or represents a feminine receptive part of the psyche receptive being the key word there she ate of that tree of knowledge what she did was receive into her body-mind the experience of the possibility that humanity could live as if it were totally separated from the divine she accepted as knowledge the concept of good and evil she accepted into the body-mind the experience of that knowledge And that knowledge became the hypnotic state of duality. And that knowledge, like any knowledge, is not based on fact, though traditional Christian religion, as well as some others, espouse that knowledge as fact. Rather, that supposed knowledge is based on the perception of a world as one in which humanity and God were split off from each other. And the tenet upon which that supposed knowledge was based was that of good and evil. So it's more like this. The real question that was being sort of resolved or we're in the process of resolving is, is a created thing separate from its creator? We think the answer is yes, because we're in a duality mindset. But really, the creation is only a manifestation of the intent of its creator. But because duality had to be explored in order to once and for all answer the question or resolve the creative dilemma of duality for the entire universe... We are here in this experience believing that we're separate from God based on the tenet that God is good and humanity is evil. Now, that's a rationale for duality. So, what we've got here is a basic component that says man can be separated from from God, humanity can be separate from God. And what we do is we perpetuate this idea of good and evil, that God is good and man is evil in order to perpetuate the idea of duality. We'll talk some more about that in a little bit. But let's explore that tenet for rationale first. The most important thing to remember is that the purported knowledge of good and evil is not in and of itself the whole story. The first story is that God and humanity are not thought to be one. So that's what we have to keep in mind with the whole premise of duality. It's not necessarily just about life or death, heaven or hell, good or evil, it's really about this whole idea that humanity can be separate from God. The second thing to remember is that the very notion of good and evil is but a rationalization for the first myth, that of separation from God. Now, I know we're talking about some pretty heady things today, but it's important because our whole systems of endeavor, whatever we do on this planet, is set up based on this premise of duality. And we'll talk some more about that in later segments. For right now, I want us to just kind of look at this whole dynamic of good and evil. Because good and evil simply give us the seeming reason for why we're supposedly separated from God. Yet, good and evil are difficult concepts to pin down. If I get interrupted by the uh, commercial during this time, I'm going to come back to the topic, so don't worry. But for good and evil, we could say... Good is X and and evil is Y. Well, how did we come to that? Well, most mostly we came to it because once upon a time, we made up some rules that sort of pinned down what good was and what evil was. But if you check out the Bible, just the Bible, any other texts are out there. They're also they have this included as well. But If you look at the Bible, what the Bible says is that Jesus later intimates in some of his parable, and Paul even says, point blank in Romans, that man was just fine before these rules were put in place. As a matter of fact, it even said that the law, when the law was brought about, it made it harder for men. So we believe that these rules, or following these rules, will somehow reconnect us to the distant and punitive God. But the whole idea of reconnection is interesting in and of itself. Why would we want to be reconnected to God if we're evil? If we're evil, wouldn't we want to be that much more separate from God? So you see that whole premise, and it's a real down-deep sort of archetypal premise that's hard for us to get hold of because mentally we think, we think in terms of gradations of evil. Or things are bad, uh, it's worse, or it's a little worse than that, or it's just downright evil. Or things are good, or they're better, or they're really good, or they're holy or pure. Or perfect and and so we we have these gradations but they all filter down for the same archetypal idea of bad or good something's either bad or it's good so we've came up we come up we came up generations ago we came up with these ideas of laws but let's think about these rules these laws did God always follow them for example he told us not to kill in the Ten Commandments and yet several times throughout the text of the Old Testament, the Torah, or however you think of that, uh, scriptures, books, uh, he, w- he commanded or, or ordered people to go and kill people. So did God say don't kill people or did God say kill people? It's pretty hard to tell sometimes. Um, and that's just one of the, d- the ways that we can sort of give an example of how these rules are always a kind of a little bit amorphous. We don't, can't really grab hold of them and say that. But let's look at it even more. Let's look at it from a metaphysical perception. If, if it is true that we're not supposed to kill each other because that's somehow really a terrible bad thing, then what is this death? And from the metaphysical perspective, from a non-dual perspective, nobody really dies. So how then could it be evil for us to kill somebody? Now, let me be real clear. I'm not attempting to make it easy for us to get away with murder and all that phrase's intimations, what I'm really saying here is that we are not separate from the divine. We simply believe that we are. And that is the hypnotic trance state in which we've been in for centuries. So we've all lived in this hypnotic state and uh, since its onset in the metaphorical Garden of Eden in the beginning of our sojourn here on planet Earth. So powerful is this hypnosis that even now, as I'm speaking of it, many of you are having great difficulty wrapping your mind around it. It is extremely difficult for us to stop saying the word good. I say it all the time, even though I don't believe it. Uh, It's hard for us to stop saying the word bad. We say it all the time. What we eat, it's either good or bad. What we smell, it's either good or bad. What we feel, it's either good or bad. We're constantly judging all of our life's experience based upon these two duality, poles of duality. So in that judgment, we might be missing out on what's really happening in that experience because we go immediately to our heads and our heads say, oh, well, this is good or that's bad. We don't live out of our hearts and out of our experiencing sensations without our heads. In the process, we might be missing some of the vital ingredients of experience, of the creative process of experience. And we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. This is Matthews. And this is Authentic Living.
0: Awakened Media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
3: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
1: When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, Reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals killing thousands of plant species some of which may contain vaccines for hiv cancer and syphilis meanwhile the guys cutting down the trees are 13 year old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops
0: saving the world isn't easy but saving a life is just one pint of blood can save up to three lives visit bloodsaves.com to learn more this public service announcement was brought to you by the ad council listening on a higher dimension 7th Wave Network.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's one 866 472 You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: Hi, we're back with Authentic Living. And in the last segment, we defined duality as that uh, state of awareness in which we think that we are separate from the divine in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and that we have to somehow attain reconnection because we are inherently evil and God is inherently good. And that base, that premise of good and evil is based on some, as we said in the last segment, it's pretty difficult to pin down concepts. For example, I think it was uh, really not a good thing that um, Osama bin Laden blew up the trade towers. Osama bin Laden, on the other hand, thought that that was a very good thing to do. See, we have different definitions of goodness, and from his perspective, he thought that was a part of his holy initiative. From my perspective, I think it was murder. Our perspectives are very different on this same topic, so who is right and who is wrong? Well, all of us in the West would say, well, of course, Andrea, you're right. Those over there would disagree, some of those. So so I guess what I'm saying is that is that it's very difficult for us to determine what is good. We do know what feels good. For example, love feels good. Love gratifies on a deep level. It, it it meets some very primal needs of the human being. We all do desire to be connected to each other. But that very desire for connection belies the dualistic standpoint because, in fact, we are all one, and the belief that we're not says that we have to strive for it, we have to long for it, we feel divided, and we have to get back together with those people that we love and those entities, spiritual or otherwise, that we love. So it is very, very difficult for most of us, almost impossible for many of us to even conceive of the possibility that the seeming reality out of which we have lived and died for centuries isn't really the truth. And so those who espouse such a concept are considered to be heretics or just plain crazy. So, okay, I'm a heretic and I'm just plain crazy. But today, we're going to consider duality and all of its manifestations on this planet. And while we're doing so, I just want you to sit back and relax and consider. Just allow yourself to have a fantasy of possibility. And when we're done, I want you to just ask yourself if it could, just maybe, just possibly, could be true. That's all. You don't have to agree. Just open your mind to the possibility that maybe there is no duality. So let's look at it right now from a financial perspective. The way the duality affects our finances is just what we've seen recently. We believe that there's not enough. Where does that belief come from? That belief comes from an idea that there is no um, spiritual entity, a divine being taking care of us. Why would a divine being who created us, as we think, why would that divine being abandon us? Because we're evil. And because we're evil, we don't really deserve to be able to get something, get be taken care of without earning it. We all have to earn it, ergo the foundation of capitalism. Now, here's the thing I'm not doing, I want to be real clear, I'm not offering any kind of political persuasion, communism, capitalism, whatever-ism. I'm not offering it. What I am suggesting is that there is another profound possibility, and that is that we are all being profoundly and deeply cared for, so much so that Jesus said to us, consider the lilies. They neither sow nor reap, and yet they are clothed in raiment finer than that that Solomon wore, who was one of the wealthiest people on the planet. So, I guess what I'm saying here isn't we need to develop a new political persuasion. What I am saying is that the basis for our financial setup is one in which some people have and other people don't have, and the people who don't have don't have because they haven't earned it in whatever form we think they ought to earn it, and the people who do have have because they're somehow good and they've earned it. We all know that's not really true. Because we all sit around, those of us who are in the middle class or the poorer class, we sit around and we say, oh, those bad people, they took their money, they stole money, and they're greedy, and they're this, 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 this. You know, there are people out there who have been greedy and who have done some pretty malicious things with money. And the whole premise of money is based on the idea of bartering. It's not the foundation of the world. We tend to think in terms of, well, I can't afford this because I have X amount of money or I can't afford this because I don't have X amount of money. And, and so we think in terms of money. We limit ourselves to stopping right there. We say money is the way I provide for myself. But yes, money is the barter we use here on planet Earth. And so we can't deny that reality. It is the barter we use. But it is not the ultimate reality. There's another ultimate reality far greater, far wiser, far more loving, and uh, far more assured than money can ever be. And so we say, "Well, if we shouldn't believe in money, we shouldn't be striving for money. Well, yes and no we we strive for what we think is going to make us okay in this world in which money is the bartering chip. But if we say that my life depends on how much money I earned, then we've got a faulty premise. You see, if I said to you, money was bad, then I'd be living in I'd be speaking to you in dualistic terms. If I say to you, that money is just one of the things we use to barter in this world. Then I'm more realistic. If I say to you that uh, money is how we survive, then I'm speaking to you in dualistic terms. But if I say to you my survival depends on a higher being, then I'm and money is just how that higher being decides to help me or whatever. Then you know, then I've got a more realistic approach. Then it, it's more about oneness. I'm not separated from the divine. I can depend on the divine to take care of me. And money is just part of how that happens. Abundance doesn't come just in terms of money. Abundance comes in terms of all the ramifications of living an abundant life with all of its joys and all of its uh, impactful sorrows and all of its letting go and all of its releasing and all of its holding on and all of its loving and all of its all the ways that we love life. That is abundance. Money is just one aspect of that. So, uh, so it is. Our financial institutions are set up upon this premise that man is bad, God is good, man and God are separate, and therefore money is the only thing we have to keep us alive. And we say it makes the world go round. Far from it. So, from a dual, from a dualistic perspective, our financial institutions are set up to fail, and so we've seen they do. From a from a perspective of oneness. Financial institutions are just one molecule in the wholeness that we all are. And so that, that is something the divine and its creative principle uses to create abundance. Okay? So that's financial. Let's look at psychological. From a psychological perspective, many of us live what I call comparative lives. We are always comparing ourselves to other people, measuring up to some standard that we think we have to attain in order to be worthy. And we don't put it in those terms. The terms we put it in are, oh you have to have goals, you have to have a purpose, you have to have an objective, you have to go after your goals, you have to do this, this, and this. But when you get to sort of peeling back the layers, what you get to is this uh, archetypal principle that says, I have to earn my keep, I have to sing for my supper, I have to sh- prove that I'm worthy before I will allow myself attain my objectives what is that all about it's all about duality duality says i'm unworthy god is good man is evil and therefore god and man cannot be in the same room together and so i have to earn the right to be provided for i have to earn the right to be okay i have to earn the right to say i'm here i'm here on planet earth this whole idea of purpose goes right along with that idea of, uh, of, of comparative living. If I've got a purpose in my life, then I deserve to be here. That's what we think. There have been many books written, uh, particularly of, uh, of late, about the purpose for living. We have to be living up to some purpose. I know so many people who come to me and say, what is the purpose for my life? My answer is always the same, living. Living is the purpose for your life. Living is the purpose for everyone's life. We're not here to attain some goal, some mentalized dualistic objective. We're here to live, to experience life, and that experience in and of itself is the creative principle in action so that eventually we all get to the place where we recognize that there is no separation between God and humanity. There is no separation between humanity and humanity. There is no separation, and there never was. So the whole point here is that if I live by comparison, then I'm I'm measuring myself by a standard. And the truth is that that standard is more often than not extremely faulty. It's based on some things we learn from our parents about how we should behave. It's based on things we learn from our corporate society in which it's, it's told that we should work a certain number of hours a week in order to measure up to our buddies who's work, who are working more hours than we are. It says something about quality and quantity. It says something about uh, the quality of your work, the quantity of your work, the, uh, how, what grades you're making in school. There's another platform I could get on. Our education is entirely based on the dualistic concept. It says you must measure up to attain this goal, or we can't prove that you're really educated. And if we can't prove that you're really educated, then how can you get out there in the world and you have to have a degree to be a credible source. And if you don't have that degree, then you're really not credible. And so, therefore, nobody's going to listen to you. And so who would listen to you? Because we are separate. We are distinct individuals. And listening isn't, is, is uh, listening across the veil between two people. And really, listening is just part of our oneness. So we think in these terms of duality that say, I have to compare my life to your life and ask myself if my life is good enough. Or you have to compare your life to my life and ask yourself if your life is good enough. And when we ask the question, we come with we'll come up with one or two answers: either I'm measuring up or I'm not. That's duality. When it's either or, it's duality. It always p- falls down to duality. The truth is, I'm not here for a purpose. I'm here to be alive, and I'm already alive. All I all I need to do is experience that life. Now, that experience of life doesn't mean does not mean As we think of it in our dualistic frames of reference that i'm going to lay down and become a lazy bum and do nothing means i'm going to be about the business of fulfilling all of my desires dreams my hopes because i'm fulfilling my life i'm alive i'm looking into myself and saying what is it that i want and need and let me get that for myself that's being alive and that's a part of the creative impulse and we're going to talk some more about this right after the break this is andrea matthews this
1: Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, oh, uh.
0: oh There you go.
1: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call one 888 200 4005 A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
3: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT, it was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
1: You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: We're back with Authentic Living. This is Andrea Matthews. We've been talking today about duality. Duality was defined in the first segment as that uh, state of mind in which we see ourselves as separate from the divine and that it's based upon the idea, again, just an idea, a concept, that God is good and man is evil. The divine is good, man is evil, humanity is evil. So if we, uh, out of that concept, we have formulated all the institutions of our lives. And we've been talking just a little bit about those institutions or those thought, uh, patterns of thought, and uh, we discussed the financial institution, and we discussed discuss the idea of comparative living. I'm going to talk just a little bit about this judging our experiences. One of the things the Buddha talked about the most was attachment as the um, source of our suffering. Our attachments have us labeling life events, circumstances, people, places, and things as either good or bad. We look around at our lives and we go, well, this part of my life is good and that part of my life is bad. And I want to get rid of that part of my life that's bad and I want to keep that part of my life that's good so we strive to hold on to the part that's good, and we strive to get rid of the part that's bad. And I have so many people come into my office as, as clients and say to me, well, I just want to get rid of this part of myself. Well, that part of ourselves that we don't like has a gift for us. And if we try to get rid of it, we miss the gift. And then from a, But from our dualistic frame of reference, we say, I have to cut off that part of me, and I have to... Uh, live into the part of me that's good and so we split off our mindsets about who we are based upon what's good and what's not not good or what's bad and we judge our life experiences this way what if we could have life experience without judging it wouldn't we just be a part of the moment if we could do that wouldn't we just be able to experience all of the, the glory of that moment you know, one of the things I understand about humanity is it, it comes with warts, you know, seemingly warts that we think of as, oh, well, that's not so good. But, you know, people are a mixed bag. They're not made up of, oh, total perfection or total badness or, you know, in terms of the dualistic way we look at them. Rather, they're a mixed bag, and some of it is dark and some of it is light. But the light has a gift for us and the dark has a gift for us. If you think about the sun shining on things, well, whatever things the sun shines on causes a shadow. And from that shadow, there's a a glorious contrast between the light and the shadow. Without the shadow, there would just be all light. And I guess we could say matter wouldn't exist if it was all light. And maybe one day we'll experience that too. But for right now, what we understand is that in this world, there's shadow and light. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that the shadow can't give us a gift, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, excuse me, as a matter of fact, some of the most profound gifts that I've found within myself have come from shadow aspects of myself, parts of myself that I might think of and go, "Yeah, I'm not so sure I want to keep that," and yet there was some strength hidden in there underneath it that if I just sat with it, I found that strength, and I found why I needed that shadow aspect of myself. And I didn't throw it away. I kept it because it was a part of me, just like we are all part, a particle of the divine. And so this whole idea of judging our experiences is one that perpetuates the idea of duality, that our experiences can be either good or bad. They're not either good or bad. They're just experiences. And so if we just let them be and let them flow through us, then we gain from them what they came to give us. Not only that, but our lives are a lot more joyful because we're not judging our circumstances as bad. One of the things I think about depression is that one of the ways that we get to a depressed state, not the only way, but one of the ways that we get to a depressed state is that we focus on the what we suppose to be the negative of our lives and we stay there and we give ourselves all these negative messages about these negative things in our lives and it just pulls us down and down and down into a vortex of bleak blackness and and part of the work i do with people in trying to help them get beyond their depression is to help them reconsider the judgments they've cast upon their own lives and their own their own identities so, uh... so judging our experiences is a part of the duality trance state and i would say that in order to move beyond the duality trance state trance state and transcend that we have to stop judging our experiences So. That's one, another way that duality exists. Another way is we consider personalities, genders, gender identifications, races, creeds, and sexual orientations to be different and bad or good. We judge them along those lines. We formulated a mole let's let's talk about one of the ones that's up today with prop eight having uh just uh, gone gone through like we didn't want it to and and uh and um People deciding on what should be true for another person. If a person is gay or lesbian, it is because they fall in love with people of the same sex. It is not because they have sex with people of the same sex, it is because they fall in love with people of the same sex. But in our taboo world, where sex is on the one hand exposed in every possible way and on the other hand hidden and cloistered, we We think of of sexual orientation as a factor of uh, breaking the mold. The mold is supposed to be heterosexual, so um, people of, of, of certain sexual orientations are breaking the mold, and they're also bad for doing so. And we cite certain little passages in the Bible. We ignore other passages in the Bible, and we cite certain little passages, and we say, okay, those people are bad. See, here it is in the Bible. We ignore other passages right beside those passages that tell us to do things that we would never do. So uh, we've got this, this mindset set up. What is that about? Well, it's the premise of all of that is fear. The Differences scare us. But look underneath that, and what you find is oneness. If I'm scared of your differences, if sameness means that I can get close to you, then somehow that means that I believe in oneness. I believe that sameness somehow is the same as oneness. No, it isn't, of course, because we're all different particles in the in the whole fabric of of the creative principle that is divine but But if we could say, "What is it that makes me need for you to be the same as me? What is that? What is it that needs for gender? to only be these two black and white entities if you're a man you're all-man if you're a woman you're all-woman and as thomas moore put it there's thousands of ways to be a man and there's thousands of ways to be a woman and so this thing about gender is not at all what we think it is so th- what we're saying here is that there's all kinds of variabilities out there and yet we are one in those variabilities there's all kinds of different uh... ways that that trees turn colors in the fall I have a tree in my backyard that turned a brilliant gold this year but last year it was red now I don't know why that is but it did so it it is all about um, just accepting these differences as part of the part of the fabric that is the creative principle of the divine and so Our differences in personalities make us split off from each other. Our differences in personalities and genders and gender identifications and races and creeds and sexual orientations and religions and all kinds of other things we use to separate us from other people because we believe that we are separate. So we fulfill our own prophecy and then long to be united. At Christmas time, we say, oh, peace on earth. And we dream about that fantasy of peace on earth, but we never say we could really have it. We could really have it if we could ever stop believing in duality. Let's talk about religion, particularly the concept of heaven and hell. Now, I know that not all religions believe in heaven and hell, and not all religions believe in God. So when I talk about God, I'm going to try to use the word uh, divine. I sometimes will slip God in there, so forgive me for that. But um, the whole idea of heaven and hell is based on the premise that this place of earth is first judged to be not good enough. It's not good enough to be here on earth. Somehow we're supposed to be better than that. And so we formulated this principle that up and beyond earth, there's a place that we call heaven, and that some of us are going to get to go there. If we're good enough, in whatever way we frame the idea of good enough, whether it's praying a prayer to ask Jesus Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior, or if it's living the right life, or it's whatever we call that, um, we find that heaven is this, other place. It's beyond earth. It has to be another place because earth is not good enough. That's a dualistic frame of reference. And hell is even worse than earth. Hell is the place where all the bad people on earth go and they're bad because they didn't ask Jesus Christ to be the personal Lord and Savior or they didn't live the righteous life that we think they ought to live or whatever. Those people are bad and they're going to hell. And hell is the place where the divine who created us all will send people Forever separated from him because him, her, it. Because, why? Because I can't figure that part out. I'm not sure I understand that part. But that's, that seems to be how we've got our duality set up. From the, a uni- unified or oneness perspective, there is no heaven and there is no hell except what we create right here on this planet. We create our heavens. We create our hells right here, right now. And part of the ways we create hell is to judge our circumstances. Part of the way we create heaven is to accept oneness of duality. But we'll talk about that right after the break. This is Andrea Matthews. This is Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology.
0: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
3: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health metaphysics over there over there's the water whoosh whoosh and look at all this stuff i'm standing on it's called sand and it's
0: everywhere this woman may sound silly to you and me
3: it's made up of little tiny pieces
0: of rocks teeny little pieces of rocks but to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him (laughs) she makes perfect sense
3: how does it feel when you touch the sand
0: Find out how at foreignlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network.
2: Hello, and we're back for the last segment of our show today in which we're talking about duality. You know, we talked in the last segment about religion as an aspect of duality, particularly with regard to the concepts of heaven and hell. And what we said was that from a dualistic perspective, earth was not good enough, so we formulated the idea of heaven as a place away from the earth. And hell is a version of earth that's like, you know, way way badder (laughs) than planet earth. So we... We formulated these concepts based on the dualistic idea that some people were good and some people were bad, and that God wanted to be with the good people and didn't want to be with the bad people. And so that's how we formulated it. But when you get right down to it uh, with regard to how to live a life that's full and complete, none of that makes any sense anymore. And we do the same thing with other religions. In, In the Western world, Um, Eastern religion has begun to really take hold, and I'm real glad to see that happening. However, we tend to westernize it. And and even in the East, the idea of, say, karma is considered to be either good karma or bad karma. That's still based on the duality concept that you're going to get punished one day for what you did bad in one life by having something bad happen to you in the next life. But really, I think of karma more along the lines of that I am evolving into my truest, highest self over many lifetimes. And so I'm not going to get punished for what happened in the last life, but what I'm going to do is build on what happened in the last life in the next life and in the next and in the next until I've really been a part of that creative principle that is the divine energy and become my truest, authentic nature. And so that whole that transcends the idea of bad karma and good karma and puts it into the concept that there is only oneness. And so what I'm doing is opening my eyes, lifetime after lifetime, awakening to the idea that I'm actually one with the divine at all times. And so, and religion itself is based upon the premise, the whole premise that there is a code, a, a dogma, if you will, that is right, and that if that certain people will be a part of that code or dogma and they will all be rewarded in certain ways if not only because they are united in that group. But even in that very unification, is an effort to see behind it through the lens of the divine that we are one already. So the whole concept of religion can be based on the dualistic principle as well. Lots of uh, of our earth experiences can be based on that concept of duality, duty versus desire. That whole notion is based on the dualistic premise that desire is bad and duty is good. What duty does is it cuts off the heart, and what desire does is it opens the heart. And so if we say, I should do these things because they are the good things to do, I'm living out of a mental premise based upon this is good and that is bad. If I live from true desire, and I'm not talking about compulsion, such as in when I want to go get a drink and I'm an alcoholic, I should go get another drink. I'm talking about true desire, true fulfilling desire. If I live from that, then I'm living from the principle of oneness. Reason versus emotion. We split ourselves off. I see so many people in therapy who are totally consumed with emotion and they run their lives out of emotion. I see other people who are totally consumed with intellect and they run their lives out of intellect. The middle ground would be to put those two things together and be able to think about how I feel and feel about how I think. That would be a more uh, uh, oneness perspective, a unified perspective. The notion of survival versus living, the idea that we must survive. We have to do everything to survive because we have to keep ourselves alive. Why? To fulfill some purpose, to make ourselves good, to fulfill the duality principle. Living, on the other hand, is a different idea. Living says, I'm here because I'm alive. I'm alive because I'm here. And it's just being in that experience that makes life worth living. And so in the end, what we have here as a result of this discussion, as we're saying it today, without duality, we have the experience of the moments of our lives. Without duality, we have the experience of the moments of our lives. With duality, what we have is a lot of anxiety and a lot of sadness and a lot of suffering. And if you believe that duality is not really the truth, then you know that that anxiety and suffering is not really necessary, for there's really nothing to be worried about. We're one with the very active and creative power of the principle that is divine energy. So what's to worry? And yet we find ourselves worrying we worry because we might not have enough. We worry because we might not be enough. We worry because we, we can't get other people to do what we want them to do. We, we worry because the world isn't doing what we think it ought to do. We worry because other people suffer. We worry because we feel guilty that we haven't done enough to stop the suffering of the world. We worry perpetually. And what we say to ourselves is, if I'm worried, that means I'm good because I'm at least worried. That's a strange concept, don't you think? But we do it all the time. And so we say to ourselves, this means I'm a good person. I can't feed the hungry in Africa. I can't stop the, the carnage in Darfur. But I can say I'm worried about it. And the truth is that if we're all one, then everything I'm doing here on this planet affects everybody in Darfur. So I'm, if I'm believing in my own prosperity and my own connection to the divine, then I'm affecting the planet in that way too. So everything I do affects everyone else if we believe in oneness. If I believe in duality, there's nothing I can do for somebody else. Do you see? Because I'm cut off from them by miles and miles of distance and time and space and energy. But in the theory of oneness, I'm not cut off from them at all. I can talk to them, in fact. I can be with them. I can, I can grow with them. I can um, give them my energy. I can do all kinds of loving things because I'm one with them. So the whole concept of worry is one that keeps us separated from the notion of the divine, the notion of the divine being the creative principle that started this whole thing in the first place. But I will also say this. We're not likely to get rid of duality. We are having this experience of duality because it is part of the creative process. It is part of the creative principle. In other words, once we're done with this whole concept of duality, once we all have really processed all the way through to the end and begun to realize that, no, in fact, there is no duality. We are all one. Once we've done that, we have finished that. We have resolved that creative dilemma for the entire universe. If you want a purpose, there it is. We are here about the business of resolving for the entire universe this whole dilemma Of duality can a person live as if he or she is separate from God absolutely we do we see it every day we do it every day is it valid is that the truest experience we could have not even close so the process is one in which we get it we get it lifetime after lifetime we wake up more and more to who we really are who we really are is we are particles in the creative principle that is God, is the divine. We are particles. We are, you can think of it as molecules. We're quarks in the whole body of God. Uh, that's a way of thinking of it. It's, it's not very accurate because it doesn't really portray who or what the divine energy is. I don't think we can do that, not in any verbal sense, because that's a dualistic lo- logos frame of looking at it. But I think we can begin to see ourselves as part of a process. Two, we need to judge our experiences based on a this defines it. Ask yourself if that could possibly be true. If it is, enjoy it. This has been Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews. Tune in again next week when we'll be talking with Michael Brown. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.